everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. Um, I'm excited to uh, invite uh, a friend of mine and, and um, you know, the current CEO and co-founder of Noble, Warren Schaefer, to the podcast. Welcome, Warren. Thanks for having me, KV. I'm excited to be here. I, um, I want to give a, a brief intro to Warren. So Warren runs Noble, as I mentioned earlier, it's an audio first learning platform that's working uh, to unlock billions of hours of quality learning time. And, and the focus is on learning, which is you know my favorite activities. Um, Noble launched in 2019 and is backed by top investors like A16Z, Initialized and Upfront Ventures. And um, beyond his professional life, he, he is a first generation American, is a lifelong learner, and he's a uh, parent. And he just, we were chatting about uh, the work-life balance and being a parent and, and uh, he has three kids. So um, I definitely admire um, his, his uh, view of, of, you know, balancing both worlds. So Warren, um, super glad to have you here on, on the Building Public Podcast. Thanks again for having me, KP. I'm a big fan of yours as well. I'm excited to, to chat about building in public. Uh, you and I met through Twitter and, and I got really inspired by what you've been putting out into the world. And uh, so, so it's an honor to, to speak with you. Cool. So I'll, I'll um, open it up with, with um, you know, sort of the why question, you know, I, when, when you got to the building public, you know, chapter of your life, like what was your why? I really have learned a lot from people who don't just share their highlights, but who also have shared their vulnerabilities. And I'm really grateful to those people because you don't often get that. People are pretty protective of their hard moments. And so the impetus for me to start building in public and, and we can have a longer discussion of whether I'm actually even doing that fully um, and, and sort of the definition, but, but my first kind of foray and to, and to sharing it on Twitter was um, last fall um, when I had a, had a third kid and wanted to be very open about the challenges of running a company and also being a parent and to normalize what I think are the very normal highs and lows of being an entrepreneur. So for me, it, it's often, I, I tend to try to share the stuff that often feels scary to share because it is vulnerable, but that I think can be helpful to another founder or uh, somebody who, who might be in a similar situation. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about last fall um, because uh, a friend of mine, shout out Sharath, uh, was the first one who introduced your tweets and your profile to me on Twitter. He DM me saying, KP, you would love to see what, you know, what Warren's writing about or what he's sharing about. And um, I, I, frankly, I almost didn't believe what I was reading because I was like, this can't be real. Like this, this stuff with this uh, vulnerability, this person, like, what is this? This is like, I almost had a, what is this real moment? And that kind of tells you a little bit about like how protected and guarded most public founders are. And we get to read about the stories, almost like wartime stories after the fact, right? Steve Jobs biography came way after the fact, uh, almost to a point where like, you know, the lessons are irrelevant to a young founder. So your content to me um, is so refreshing because you take almost like an opposite stance and you, you sort of open it up 
and in in a welcoming way it, it always feels like it you, you are sharing what you think could be useful to somebody else so so is is this something that you have felt that you've been doing within the team and you wanted to extend that beyond the walls of noble i think most startup people will agree that the more transparent you are with your team the more everyone can row in the same direction, right? When you hide and guard information, it's really hard to have other people help you or to understand what's going on. So as a startup founder, I tend to, to err on the side of transparency internally. I think the idea of sharing information externally, um, that's a balancing act. And you and I had a previous conversation about kind of pros and cons of, of building in public, and we can get into that, I think. Um, you know, there really, there definitely are instances where there's just information that you just can't share publicly, right? right. Because of you might not want to share your full product roadmap because competitors might copy it, or you might not want to share the details of your financing because that's very sensitive information and it could complicate a process. So there, there are some things that you just unfortunately can't share. And, and I have some thoughts on this um, that I want to chat about with you and we can get into it later. But um, generally, I think that when you share with others, it, it's kind of a view of being optimistic, right? This idea of if you put something out into the world, and, and people know what you're doing and what you need help with, then they're more likely to want to help you. They, right. they can't help you if they don't know what you need help with. So transparency internally, I think definitely makes sense. Sharing number, you know, at the company, we've always shared our numbers internally. Um, we want everyone to know how we're doing. Um, but then externally, you know, I, I increasingly think that we're living in a world where you can be really helpful to others when you share your story. Right. And you can also get help and be benefited when you share right. your story too. Right. People... I think people underestimate um, how many really just kind people out there are wanting to just help. Uh, I know you and I have uh, chatted about this one time and I want to, it's probably a little bit of a off topic thing, but I want to ask you like, what, what, how do you define someone who is kind versus someone who is nice? Cause I know that's your pin tweet and that's something that we chatted about one time. Yeah, there's a big, difference between the two and a lot of people think that nice and kind are the same but they're synonyms and in my mind nice is short-term pleasant because you want to avoid discord right um and you can be nice and kind in some situations and if you can then you should but there are some situations where you can't be both and in those situations it's better to be kind than it is to be nice and what do i mean by kind well kind is i can say something that might in the near term feel offensive or harsh or like a critique, but it's out of long-term consideration, right? Somebody has food in their teeth and you can <laughs> tell them, hey, you've got food in your teeth and, and do it in a, in a way with levity and, and grace, um, but it can still feel a little bit uh, like a, a position of discord. But you're, you're saying that because you don't want them to feel embarrassed at the end of the day when they look in the mirror and realize that, you know, no one told them that they had food in their teeth, right? So. That's, that's what I mean by, by being kind. And I think a lot of people try to be nice and yeah. the, the impulse is to be nice and to not actually say what they're thinking. Um, and, and sometimes people, this gets people into trouble because if you don't say what you're feeling, then you're not being fully honest. Right. right. And that doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve the person who you're interacting right. with. Right. I mean, I mean, especially in the startup context, context. So tying it back to like one of the most dreadful memories I've had in the startup context was when I was doing customer discovery mm. for, for one of the SaaS ideas I had like four years ago. 
people were constantly being nice to me. And I was like, please stop being nice and tell me how you actually want to use this or tell me what's your current workflow? Like, what do you, like, what's your current habit uh, map look like? Because I think that's one of the hardest things. And I learned this. Finally, I washed it away out of my system by reading this book called uh, Mom Test. Shout out Rob Fitzpatrick. Uh, Mm. He helps, um, you know, uh, founders or or people who are usually doing customer discovery ask the right questions without, you know, like literally just asking for compliments or asking for, right. How much do you like my product? Right. Like, hey, have you ever, and and also, and most likely 99%, they're trying to be nice to you and you never hear the truth and the kind answer. So I think I've seen the effect of that uh, enormous um, you know, barrage of nice nicety. And then it frankly was short-term pleasant, but long-term unhelpful. Totally. And to your point, the kinder answer there would have been like, KP, like, you know, I know you're asking about these workflows, but like, let's pause here. Let me tell you what I do currently. And it may not, it may be the case that you, what you're building is actually not useful to me. That would have been like so, so life-saving for me at the time. So anyway, I, I love that definition. And I, I try to think of like, you know, in, in when I give feedback to founders, so when I'm like, you know, um, helping no code makers, I'm always trying to say like, what is the fastest way to for me to give the truth that they would not hear outside? Yeah. Um, but do it gracefully. That's I think that's very important too. I think um, you know, you don't have to be a dick about it, right? Um, yeah. You could you could try to be nice in your kindness. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. But in the worst case, if it's not working, just still be kind and then get on with it. You know. Um, <laughs> So bringing us back to the building public uh, highway. And so you, you touched on a couple of cons and, and we'll, I want to get to the cons section, but let's, let's talk about some benefits. Let's talk about some pros. What have you personally seen? Like since last fall, you said, uh, I know you've been a little inter- intermittent and I'll, I'll blame that on, you know, uh, your work, work style of like all, all these things that are going on. I'm sure. As a I want to talk founder. about, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about. Go on then. Please tell us then. Okay. Unpack it. Well, yep. Well, I think I think um, there's so much stuff that, as a founder, I, I want to share, but I do sometimes feel like, oh, that this is sort of time sensitive, and I have an idea, which is um, to just write the tweets but not post them until some sort of declassification period, right? And I'm curious if you've seen anyone do this, where it's like, hey, here's my here's my kind of live journal, but it's six months ago, so things have changed. You know, this person won't it, it won't feel as personal or you know, the outcome isn't so undecided, but. I have not personally um, seen a lot of examples where people um, had been maybe saving things in, in, in drafts and on Twitter, and maybe they had, yeah. maybe they published like six months later, but I have to believe that they're documenting this in their journals yeah. or in their, you know, um, in whatever note-taking apps they have, and maybe it's coming out later. And the frame, the framework that I use is, um, I try to talk, um, I, I try to save up, I try to leave out the details that will personally affect anybody in, in the situation. And, and I think about uh, the framing from like, what can be learned here and, and in a broad context. So, so for example, we had like a, um, you know, we, we had like, a, uh, let's say we had a marquee event, you know, and I was the host and, um, you know, let's say somebody was late. So like my building public update is not that the fact that that person was late. <laughs> to me, right. it's like, it's, it's a net negative or it's not a net positive thing. 
but the fact that um, you know maybe something that they still said or maybe uh, another person's patience um, that inspired me to be a bit more patient is the takeaway you know um, so it is uh, quite fascinating but I, I do wonder to your point like how many stories will come out six seven months later including yours so we'll see yeah well I think I think it's sort of a good way to I mean, this is what governments do, right? They declassify documents at some period later. Right. And, I, and I feel like that might be a really more novel way to get people to share their, their building public stories without the sense, without the fear of having some near-term yeah. impact, right? Of it influencing an outcome in the near term. So, right. um, but yeah, I, I, I keep a journal. Again, though, the problem is, is when you journal and you, when you try to tell a story in hindsight, it's, you lose, you forget you know, the yeah. indecisiveness, the uncertainty of outcomes, and then it always feels somewhat inevitable once it's done. Right. The The other thing, too, is I think when you recount when it's like far out or when it's like you've, you've lived through that, let's say, six, seven, eight, nine months later, yeah. you almost have this narrative fallacy where you think that happened because of the factors that, you know, are fresh in your mind on that day. But really, there could have been seven other factors that you missed three months ago. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a balance, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't think there is really a right or wrong answer. Um, we, we, we're all trying to tell stories in, in almost a subconscious way each day, you know, we're telling a story to ourselves about what the day is about, you know, how good the day was or how bad the day was or, yeah. uh, and so to me, it's just, it's fascinating that now I can, you know, not only hear my own story and tell my story, but also I can like check out what Warren is up to, you know, and back in the day, it was very annoying because it was only about the cars you drove or the cities you went to and the selfies. And I feel like social media is like, at least the social media, maybe the bubble that I live in yeah. is getting more um, intimate and real that it feels like friendship, yeah, like vulnerable and real. So um it's a good trend i don't know how much of it is algorithm based for you personally versus you know the, the macro but i think it is there is i am seeing it too right this trend of people trying to be their more of a whole self rather yeah. than here's my work persona and here's my right. brand and here's my home life it's no right. we're all we're all fallible humans and right we're all figuring it out as we go and i think right. that's, that's healthier and better for everyone to accept and be a part of for sure. So a, a couple other um, questions I have here for you, like, when did you, I know you mentioned like last fall, like, when did you hear the phrase building public? Such a good question. I, I sometime right around then. I, and I mean, you, you, you know, I think um, I posted this thing and then I was like, oh, I've heard this phrase build in public. And then somehow I found your profile and just started learning more about you and it's like this is awesome he's he's being so helpful and what a great movement and and found more people who are doing it too and my follow-up was going to be like who were some people that uh inspired you and i think you know uh it, you can skip you can skip me on this one <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> but like actually the, the follow-up question is um how would you explain like building public to someone like your partner or your mom who's who hopefully who's not in tech you know and i struggle with this so much because my partner is not in tech, she is an educator, and she could care less about what I do on Twitter, and she still thinks that I'm just playing and it's a toy. Yeah. yeah. But, like, <laughs> how would you, how do you explain what building public is to to a, a layman? 
I don't know that I have the, the perfect definition. I think it's, it's a work in progress, but in my mind, building in public is about sharing your values publicly. And I, the heuristic that I use or try to use at least for a tweet is, is this going to be helpful to somebody? Mm, right. Yeah. Like, is this yeah. value add to somebody else? Yeah. And not, doesn't have to be to everybody, but is there a person who's going to benefit from reading this yeah. that's out there? And, and I think in many ways it's a, it's, it's also a pay it forward. There's a pay it forward component. You know, I'm really grateful to the people who have shared their learnings with me. Yeah. And um, it feels really good to try to add knowledge to the world. Um, right. So I think there's that component. And then there is a benefit component too, which is that you start to, it is kind of content marketing, right? Like you start to attract people, like-minded people who, who appreciate what you have to say. And so there is a flywheel and a reinforcing mechanism. Um, I, I, I think I want to underscore that last point you said, which is the flywheel part, where in the beginning for, for me, it felt like just the benefit was internal. Like I was like, oh, this is great. I feel good by about sharing something that may have impacted one person today. Um, and in, you know, in the early days, I was like, I wanted volume. I wanted like numbers. I wanted like, you know, number of impressions and everything. Totally. At some point down the line, I realized it was not about that anymore. It's not about how many individual impressions you have or how, how many, you know, metrics you can hit that day. It's really about this sort of nebulous impact. And it's very hard to define and like con containerize impact. And you just suddenly I get a DM like from, from Germany, from, from someone in Germany saying like, KP, thanks for sharing that thread. It really helped me. And I'm like, I don't even know you, man. Like, like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't write it for you. Right. Yeah. But then did I not write it for, you know, I, I wrote it for someone who could benefit. And, and so it over time became much more about, is this useful to at least one other person? And if yeah. the answer is yes, I'm going to ship it. No judgment, no thinking, no overanalyzing, just ship it, boom, you know? So, and you mentioned this flywheel component, which only recently came into my exist, into my per, per, um, uh, radar, where I realized that the more I'm pumping out that kind of content, useful threads, real lessons, uh, breakdowns, uh, the more, I think Twitter algorithm is working in, you know, my favor or the content creator's favor, and I'm getting more and more people who want that. Yeah. And I, and I did not realize that that's how like the flywheel, there is this content flywheel that works. Um, and so it, get, it gets over time easier and easier to reach broader and broader. Mm. Interesting. And so it, there's this point where you realize that up until there, you're just pushing the boulder up. But then after there, you feel like it's, you're just pushing it, it's just going and you're riding the wave, you know? Yeah, well, and just so, like what we were talking about earlier, I think before, before you started recording, but you just get better at, everything once you do it more too right, right? you, you probably feel more comfortable and have less second guessing about what to tweet and right should you you know there's less of the critic and and your audience is bigger and so you're learning faster so it's it's a skill and a muscle and yeah i know I, i'm fairly new to, to using twitter regularly um but i remember being very hesitant to press tweet all the first yeah. time and it, i still i still have doubts about present tweet and but i think that heuristic of is this going to be helpful to somebody is um is a really good one to try to follow when you're so debating should you put it, something out there or not it's funny you say that because that leads me to my next question which was this epic tweet bomb that he dropped about uh, this is december 22nd and this was the most vulnerable twitter thread i've read uh, and i've been very active on twitter so i can that i can that's probably top three all time greatest tweet threads that 
that speaks about vulnerability, honesty, and just, you know, just accountability too, right? Um, made me a big fan. Until then, I was like, okay, let's check, let's let's see who this guy is. And then I was like, okay, I'm a fan now. So walk us through like the night before you hit send on that one. Because that's the, so for anyone who's listening, you know, I'm going to put that at the, the show notes. It's basically a tweet thread where Warren talks us through uh, the very difficult decision of letting some of his team members go because of, you know, COVID-19 impact on the company, on the startup. And, and so it's a very, very vulnerable post. So Warren, like what was going on the night before in your mind before you hit, hit send? I, I wish I knew exactly the emotional state um, that I was in. I mean, I think, you know, frankly, I was, um, I, I, I think I wrote it in a tweet, I don't have it in front of me, Katie, but probably the second tweet in that thread is sort of the rationale for why I was posting it. And it's a little bit of what we talked about already, but I, I wish that more people would share their behind the scenes lows because that's how we all learn. Right. A lot of people are comfortable sharing their their high points. And I think not enough people are comfortable sharing the hard stuff. And and that's a disservice to to society. And so I was trying to be very honest and very clear about my decision. And, and I think actually one other thing that we didn't talk about of, of a benefit from posting publicly is it really forces you to think clearly yeah. about your your reasons. And this was a very hard decision for me. Um, the, the context was we I we didn't hit our numbers and, um, and I, in effect, over, overhired ahead of growth. And I faced a very difficult decision, which was cutting the team or trying to, to, you know, go, um, get to our next milestone with, with, uh, with a higher burn. And, um, I ultimately decided in the former and, and I wanted to explain to myself and, and to others, here's this very difficult situation. Here's how I faced it. Um, I don't know that it was, I handled it perfectly. I, I made mistakes and, but I think being open about it is beneficial to others. And I, I know how bad I felt and certainly how bad the people who were affected felt. And if one person can learn from that and not make the same mistakes that I did, then that feels worth, worth doing. Awesome. Um, so another sort of off topic, uh, to build in public, but kind of is relevant is this notion around compounding habits and i know um you know i've seen a couple of your tweets on that topic and i want to hear like what are some daily habits that you have today uh these days and you love um you love honing on yeah so i'm a big habits nerd and i think that they're basically cultivating good habits is one of the best things that you can do for to change the trajectory of your life and at a young age, you know, now that I have young kids, I see how habits can be formed and, and how they can compound either positively or negatively, right? But there are so many things that are habits that we just don't even think about. That's the definition. It's something that you do without, without a serious uh, prefrontal cortex thought um, in, in an automatic way. Um, right. And, um, but, you know, in, ter in terms of some of the habits that I try to do right now is, um, I think that self-care is extremely important. Right, and I unfortunately I think that a lot of people don't view it as something that is important. Right, it is a kind of at least historically afterthought, an, yeah, an afterthought, or even a mark of shame if you're saying I'm taking care of myself instead of yeah. working 100 hours a week. Right, yeah, and the reality is that the people who take care of themselves they go farther. More people want to work with them. They're more right, right? and so so carving out time and treating it as something that is important is 
is a mindset shift that I'd also love to see happen in our society. And I think it is happening, but in an increasing way. Um, so I, I try to exercise often. So I use the streaks app. I've discovered that recently. And I think it's a really good way to keep, keep track of, you know, where, when I'm, um, doing what I, I try to do and, and when I'm not, um, I try to meditate every day. Um, I find the days where I do carve out 10 minutes, it just sits and try to not think are the best days. Um, I think we all can get very caught up in the freneticism of, of daily life. Right. Um, and I try to read from a physical book and that is really a rewarding experience. I know KP, you've got a lot of books behind you, um, beautifully color coded, but I, you know, books for me have always been, books are, books have always been friends. You know, it's the greatest minds putting down their yeah. greatest thoughts after, you know, really distilling them and massaging the words into, into a, a very info dense container, hopefully. And, um, and I love spending time with books. And I think especially in the digital age, it's hard to not get distracted right. staring at a screen. Whereas if you have a book, you know, I like to read with a pen and, and books and I'm an right. annotator. Yeah. And, um, and so that, that's a habit that I think is very powerful uh, in terms of its compounding effect, right? If you learn a little bit of knowledge every day and you're thinking in the long-term that, that can really build on itself. My, my favorite part about reading from a physical book, which is how I love to read, is that there are no notifications. No one can distract you. No, no one, one can Slack DM you. No one can message, you know, so it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry? Yes, no, I was agreeing wholeheartedly. Yeah, and, it's, and so I, I, um, so I have, like, one of the things that I heard James Clear talk about in, in um, one of the recent podcasts was around this concept of leaving books around you know, your, your workplace or your home so that you're never far away from a good idea. And I was like, Oh my God, that is exactly what I've been doing. And my wife complains that I'm leaving books everywhere, but really that's what I'm doing. Like I literally have a book here, you know, which I've been reading called Think and Grow Rich. It's a classic. I've been rereading it. And then they have a book next to my nightstand in, in my bedroom, of course, in the back, but I see with you too, like there's all these books around and what, what they tend to do is, is you pick up any page, and you transport it's like a it's it's like a time machine you just transport to that thought that the author was having and because these were written with a lot of clarity and instead of you know um editing and like re-editing like you know that those thoughts were not just random junk they were right. well thought of you know right. um so uh, I saw you pick up something come close to like, are you going <laughs> to, yeah, I was going to ask, have you read this book? Have you seen this book, the joys of compounding? No. So it sounds it's like, yeah, technically an investment book. It's written by an investor. Uh, and, but it's, it's much more philosophical than that. Um, because it really, the, the kind of key insight that I got from this book was that really any decision that you make is an investment decision. Mm. Right. You are deciding where to invest your time or your energy or your attention. And, and that frame has, has helped me think more about, okay, wow. Um, I have to spend more time noticing what gives me energy. Like what are the right. things that, where do I want to spend my time and, and limited resources and where do I want to invest them? And what are the things that take energy? Right. Right. Um, and it cause that negative compounding spiral. But I want to read this quote, which is the first quote in the book. He quotes Charlie Munger, who is a uh, Warren Buffett's, a partner. And Charlie says, I constantly see people rise in life who are not the smartest, sometimes not even the most diligent, but they are learning machines. They go to bed every night a little wiser than they were when they got up. And boy, does that help, particularly when you have a long run ahead of you. Right. So it's just this idea of knowledge compounds. 
Um, if you can learn something every day, 1% yeah. better every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I love it. I mean, love it. I mean, uh, you and I could do a habits podcast, literally. Just, <laughs> I know, like, I know. That'd be fun. I was so, so, I mean, um, in 2018, I feel like I had another sort of awakening of, um, of my life where, uh, I read this book called atomic habits and mm -hmm. I was cursing myself for not reading the literature around habits until then. Cause I was wow. reading all these business books, like all these, like, you know, ambitious, all these other kind of books, nonfiction, but I missed on, um, the power of habit. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, of course. I, I haven't caught up with any of the other habit literature books. And first habit book that I ever picked up was Atomic Habits. And it definitely like literally just shook me up. I was like, oh my God, you know, there's no secret. All of it is compounding. That's yes. it. And yeah. then nothing else. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be like a superhuman. You, you just have to be an ordinary person who learns every day and gets better one person every day. And over time, boom, you know, you're where you want to be. So um, it applies to everything, like being being a leader, being being uh, um, you know building pub better, building public, everything. Totally. So, um, a couple of questions, and then we we can go to the audience um, section, which I've been curating. So, if if you were to say um, a couple of downsides of building in public, um, I think one of the common questions people ask is is around. Uh, competitors and people who are like, you know, maybe stealing your plans or playbooks. Like, how do you, how do you encounter that? Or how do you, um, navigate around those eggshells? I, you and I talked about this and I asked you this, um, because you have more experience building in public and your answer to me was, well, you don't have to share everything, right? So you don't have to share your, your detailed product roadmap and, um, so I, I tend to not share something that I think is very sensitive. Um, I also think though that, you know, if somebody's copying you based on your tweets, like they're probably just not going to do as good of a job and right. they just probably are going to keep up. So if you're being authentic to yourself and you're chasing something because you have a good why for it, um, it's probably, there probably isn't much that people are going to copy in. I remember, uh, for a previous business, we met, my co-founder, I met with Fred Wilson, who's this really legendary VC and we sat down with him at a diner in Santa Monica. And um, he's like, oh, is anyone else doing what you're doing? And I said, oh, yeah, we've got this copycat company, you know, that literally took our terms of service and just like copied and pasted it. You could just tell it was exactly uh, what we were doing, an exact product, an exact language. And, and he said something that has stuck with me, which is, well, yeah, they can copy you on features, but they, they won't have your vision, right? They won't have, they're not doing it for the same kind of yeah. calling reason that you are. And that's not to say that sometimes, you know, copycats can't be more successful than their than the first mover, but if you're if you're moving towards something that you believe in wholeheartedly, then then it is really hard for someone to replicate that. Yeah, and people, you know, I, I know this is a uh, my, my thing is my thesis is that people um, can sense it. Customers are not dumb, and customers can sense um, if you care, you know, and and. It's kind of like what Apple has been saying, right? You know, Johnny Ive has been talking about this, where he says the reason why they care as much about the internal working of of something that you would never ever see as much as the outer appearance is because he he believes fundamentally that people sense care, and the same way, people can sense your thoughtfulness, right? And if you are a, if you are a founder with a strong spirit of service and you're trying to really serve that niche or that community, they can sense care. I, I I felt that um, 
historically, maybe this is exaggerating, but I never, ever, ever felt worried about a competitor because I felt that you, you can't outlast me in trying to serve my customers. Right. It's almost like flexing on the, on, on the wrong things, but I'm like, there's no freaking way in the world that you will wake up and think about that person the way that I think about them. You know, we talked about competitors. Uh, I, I, I want to understand like the questions around IP and, uh, like copyrights, I think we kind of touched on it earlier. There was a question earlier on this topic of IP. Um, and like, what, what about, how do you protect your IP while building in public? What's your answer to that? Again, this goes back to, if you have something that you think is really valuable and really easily copied, then maybe you don't share it. Um, but I, I think we sort of answered it in the last question or the last answer, which is, it's it usually, it usually you tend to value IP more than you think it's yeah. more than it's actually worth, right? It's usually about the execution and the delivery and, and, and so much more than that one, one off. I mean, obviously if you're a biotech company and you know, you haven't patented your COVID cure, uh, <laughs> maybe go patent it before you, you post right. it in the open source if you're a for-profit pharmaceutical company. Right. Um, okay, cool. So we're going to switch here to the audience segment. Um, and I'll, I'll shoot off some questions from the Twitter thread um, that we just had earlier. Okay. I promised them I'll give them shout outs on the podcast, so which is also another building public thing. So let's, right. let me, uh, let me make sure I get these right. Okay. So we have a question from Anthony Costantino, how to balance building in public on a side project while for working a full-time job. Ooh. Come on. I've never, I've never had to do that. So I don't know. Do you have an answer for it, KP? I mean, you must have. How would you, how would you feel about as a, now you're an employer and now you're, you're, you know, you're the yeah. founder. If, if you, one of your employees had maybe a weekend project and they were sharing openly of what they're creating. I, I mean, my first answer is I'd feel that's really cool. Um, because I want, I don't think that people should just have one, you know, undying focus, uh, if you're if you're an employee at a company and i think hobbies and, and other interests make you for a, a more well-rounded person and a better contributor to, to the team so um as an employer i think it'd be fine if it was hey if it was interfering with your work then yeah then then no uh right. so i guess there's there's some balance to you know if you're posting at all times when you're supposed to be on a call uh right. maybe maybe just don't back. tweet while you're one-on-one -on -one with the ceo right yeah exactly um, no, but Anthony is to Anthony's question. My, my answer is actually, that was me. I did that while I was at Delta, Delta Airlines uh, for two and a half years. Um, I was practically nobody on Twitter anywhere. So I started building an audience um, through, you know, late nights and early mornings and weekends, trying to like, you know, give myself a shot to get into startups. And uh, over time, all of that compounded. And then it felt like in 20, uh, 2018 is when I started, um, and I still was very active at work, you know, for the eight hour window, but beyond that commute on the way everywhere, I was building, building in public, um, and, you know, tweeting and to a point where, you know, now that's my full-time, you know, thing. So it yeah. is definitely doable. You just got to balance. Yeah. Anthony, okay. I, think, I think too, sometimes, uh, this goes back to something we talked about earlier, where if you have something that you're excited about outside of work, it, it can make you more effective and efficient at work too. Yeah. Right. So. Um, I, I think you should do it and right. if your employer doesn't understand it, you know, you can have a conversation with your boss. So the, 
we have another question from uh, Kavir. So how do you remain consistent with building in public, especially for longer projects that take more time to complete? I find building in public for weekend projects is easier. How do you keep that keep that energy for all the way for a big project? Unfortunately, I'm not I'm not very consistent. Um, real talk, yeah. right there. What's that real talk? No, it's hard. It's just really tough. It's hard to to do you know your job and also kind of keep keep the public updated. Um, so it's a habit that I am trying to get better at. I should add it to my streaks. There we go. Uh, love that. Um, I want to I want to address another question here, which is Robbie uh, Crabtree. Shout out Robbie. Um, how do you deal with fear of negative comments and thoughts while building in public? I actually just had an interview with Nell Scovell. She's a she's an Emmy award winning. I think she's won an Emmy. She's she's a TV writer. She started Sabrina the Teenage Witch and and she wrote for The Simpsons. And um, I did an interview with her on on how to grow as a creator. And her big thing is basically it's not about what you start. It's not even about what you finish. It's about what you submit to the world to be judged. And so you don't get better unless you get judged as a creator. And I was like, oh, that's so wow. powerful. Um, and, and I think that's just, once you have that realization, you realize that not everyone's gonna like what you make and you're gonna get better by hearing that not everyone likes what you make. And then you'll, you'll start to hone and you'll figure out what's my voice, what is it that I care about? What's the line with my values? And, and if, once you're, once you're farther down the road, if somebody has negative comments, you, you'll listen to them and you'll judge for yourself whether that's a person's, you know, if you want, if you value that feedback, great. And that'll make you stronger. And if you don't, then you politely disregard it. Right. Okay. So probably the last question, um, Scott Mayer asks, how do you get people to care? Oh yeah. Good one. Um, How do you get people to care about what you're building? I mean, I think you have to care first, right? Like mm -hmm. you have to convince yourself that you care. And if you do, and you do it in a way that's helpful, then I think people will start to notice. But I think initially you're writing for yourself. Right. You're, you're doing stuff that, you know, you your younger self would want to read or right. somebody just like you would want to read and they would find really helpful. Awesome. Cool. So th thanks for that answer, um, Warren. This was fun. This is, you know, it felt like just catching up with you at a cafe uh, in, in uh, Bay Area. Um, so thanks for joining me on this podcast. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. And, you know, I know uh, this is a topic that's close to your heart as well. So I appreciate you, um, you know, coming by. Do you have uh, any final words for our for our readers and listeners? I'm really a build in public novice. Um, so I'm grateful to you, KP, for, for leading the way and for, for you taking the time to, to fill me in and answer some of the questions um, that I think are top of mind for so many people who are considering public building. Um, thank you for having me on the podcast. This is definitely a really fun conversation. And, and I'm very grateful that we got to connect over Twitter. And I'm grateful that you're putting this out in the world and inspiring more people to consider sharing what they're doing in public and sharing it in a way with a heuristic of, can you do it in a way that's helpful, right, to, to somebody else? And I think more of that in the world is going to help you and it's going to help others as well. And so I think it's a great movement and um, I'm excited to see more people do it. Love that. Thank you so much. Um, Warren, where can people find you on the internet? 
The best place is Twitter um, at WWShafe. I'm also highly encourage you to check out knowable.fyi. Um, that's the, the company that I started. And um, we're all about building the habit of daily learning. And it's very easy and convenient. We're audio first. So if you're listening to this podcast and you like learning, go check it out. We've got lots of daily lessons, um, including lessons about habits, lessons on mental models, lessons on feedback, um, interviews with people like Kat Cole, who's a big marketing leader, and Alexis Ohanian, who's a startup founder. And um, even uh, Chris Paul has a course on Knowable. Um, he is an NBA all-star. So lots of great stuff there and, and encourage people to check that out. Love that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, KP.